0: So today on the podcast, I have on fellow Montanan Drew Baker. Uh, Drew Baker, he's a fishing guide, uh, among other things here in Montana, and just a really passionate hunter, and, and uh, he killed his biggest bull this past year, and so we talk a lot about that, and uh, he killed it in a brand new spot that he did all the research on, and it was kind of a sleeper spot with uh, not many guys hunting in there, and he had just countless encounters in there, and And uh, so so we touch on that and kind of talk about finding new spots, talk about elk hunting, talk about deer hunting, and, and just an authentic, good conversation with a couple like-minded hunters. So you guys will enjoy today's show. Uh, Sponsor for today is Savage Arms. Uh, Savage just builds the absolute best rifles out of the box. Uh, They're they're Um, sub-MOA. They just... They build it with great components and great accuracy, and the gun guys that I know talk really highly about Savage Arms. And and uh, you know, I know the guys in the office, Guy and Ike, uh, use them as well as some of the other guys, Brandon and and Scott. I know they use the Savage rifles. So just a great company and a great rifle. You can't go wrong with great out of the box accuracy. So make sure to check out Savage Arms, and thanks to them for sponsoring the podcast. Um. Over there, at Eastman's. Um, yeah, we got some cool things going on. I'm just really excited about this podcast and and keeping things rolling with it. And um, we're gonna meet up at the office again and record some more episodes over there. I really want to get with uh, Brandon Mason and do like an Alaskan Venture episode. Uh, I want to get with Ike and record one. And then um, also Scott Reekers, who's my partner on the podcast. I want to get him back on. Um, he's he's so knowledgeable about backpacking, and so I want to get on there and have just this this conversation to kind of talk about weights and days and and also he kind of has a different approach to it than I do everybody has a different mindset in backpacking but it's such an effective efficient way to hunt the backcountry or to hunt the wilderness so definitely want to get Scott back on the podcast so uh we got some big plans and and big things happening so um I'm just really excited we got some great guests coming up um other than that uh Boy, let's let's get this thing rolling. So uh, Eastman's elevated Drew Baker. Here we go. All right, I'm here with fellow Montana and Drew Baker. Um, Drew, how's it going? Great. How are you doing, Brian? Yeah, I'm doing good. Well, you're a, you're a fishing guide here in Montana, and I I always think fishing guides make really good hunters.
1: Uh Yeah, I guess we're just like anybody else, but we're uh, skilled and a a lot of patience uh, dealing with, with some clients. And so I think that definitely helps us out in the long run there, chasing animals in the woods.
0: Well, yeah, and um, we've talked before, but the, I think there's so many similarities between fishing and hunting. You know, whether you're you're reading water or you know you're you're reading the landscape that you're hunting, and you're trying to either find trout or you're trying to find deer or elk or whatever it is. But there's a lot of similarities to it, I think.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, like we've talked before, uh, stalking a, a big bull elk is very similar to stalking a big brown trout. Um, they're, they're both programmed to make us look like fools, I, I swear to God. Um, sometimes you only get one shot, and if you screw up in any way, don't play your wind right, uh, maybe you get snagged in that bush above the bank there, um, and that, that's your shot. And if you blow it, you probably won't ever see that bullet brown again. And it's, uh, yeah, a lot of similarities there.
0: Well, like you say, we're almost set up to fail. Their, their instincts are just so good that they're just going to beat us a lot of the time, and whether – It's an elk or a trout, which drives me nuts, by the way, when you get like one toss at that bank you've been waiting all day for, and you hit that limb above it, like you say, and you snap it off, and then you don't get any cast down that bank, and there's no hitting it. it, It's high-pressure moments, and if you don't get everything right, or sometimes even you do get everything right, it's just a high degree of difficulty. And same thing on a bull elk, chasing those things around. I mean, it's all got to go absolutely perfect to get an arrow in it, and he's probably got to make a little mistake along the way, too
1: yeah totally there's there's very little room for error there and and second chances just don't really exist it seems like when you're on the the river or on on the mountain so you got to play your cards right to, to get the big ones and like like my dad used to tell me they don't get big being stupid and and that's very well uh, a fact there they they sure don't get big being dumb
0: No, well, especially in today's day and age with with pressure and other guys out out hunting and chasing them like they get educated and and elk don't live to be, you know, 100 years old like us. Well, if we're lucky, 80 to 100, us guys (laughs) don't fare too good after 80. But, you know, they don't live that long. They live, you know, 10 to 15 years tops. And so, you know, every year of knowledge that they gain, they just get so much smarter in the woods and they just have a knack for making the right moves
1: yeah definitely i I've done a a little bit of research on the the fishing side of things and it's they get conditioned from from the research I've done it's and uh it definitely helps them out they're they're built to to learn and and try to stump us too and and that's one of the things that that draws me and I know a lot a lot of other guys to just the anything outdoors is it's just the pursuit of getting better we can, we can always get better and up our game, and the animals and the fish are doing the same thing. And, and that's kind of what drives me is you can never be the, the best hunter in the world or the best angler. It's, it's all about that pursuit to get to the next level and, and just keep up in our game.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, there's levels to this thing and you, you just keep improving and keep getting better. But yeah, like you said, I don't think you ever reach a ceiling or a limit. You're just always learning and, and getting better and improving and, and you're always, uh, you know, you you're still making mistakes. I still make mistakes and I still learn from it. And the ones that I hate are like the ones that I really knew better. Like, um, you know, I'll have a bowl and I'll I'll have a, a quartering win maybe, but the approach just looks so perfect. It looks like you can come right over top of this this ridge and he's gonna be right there in bow range and the the wind's maybe just kinda quartering down across him and you think, Oh, I think I can make it work and you, you go and you do this play and you sneak up and, and uh pop over the top and he's gone and he's running away and he winded you and it's like, gosh, I know better to not try to cheat that win, but here I go again, like you like you almost just have to learn these lessons over and over sometimes, but you know, or or you you're a little bit more intelligent and pick up on it. I try to learn from it, but it just seems like you're you're still bound to make mistakes every season and learn from them.
1: Oh yeah, we we definitely like to push our luck a lot, and a lot of times that that gets us in a little trouble up there. Um, but it's it's tough not to when you you think you have the perfect shot or the perfect opportunity to. To push that luck and it's a it's a good learning lesson though when it kind of bites you in the butt there and then you go home and start over square one and go at her again and just keep learning from those mistakes
0: well yeah and it's um it's such a fine line and especially with elk but any species really it's like this fine line between being patient and being aggressive like um and, and there is no handbook on on when to go all in and make your aggressive play it all just comes with experience and and instincts and you just get better at reacting to situations but but it is like this really fine line and sometimes you go over the line and get too aggressive and and then you know the the other way is that you you go over the line the other way where you get too passive and you don't capitalize on opportunities or don't go for a long stock or you know whatever the case may be. But it sure is a fine line that we have to walk to be successful elk hunters.
1: Yeah, definitely. There's there's a lot of what ifs. Uh, what if you would have went this way around that ridge or played the wind this way or and back to the fishing thing. What if I would have just cast it five feet further up the river from them? There's, there's so many what ifs and. Seems like most of the time it's it's the wrong wrong. Uh, I, I guess what you did didn't help you out at all. But as long as you're learning from from those little mistakes and those little what ifs, and, and just continually getting better, I, it'll definitely help you out in the long run.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that is the key, is is learning from it, you know. And you're you're still gonna make mistakes, but you just try to learn from everyone and, and also try to like set ego aside too. Like uh you don't kinda you know it's easy to blame it on, on you know, it was the wind, you know, or um I don't know. I just find a lot of times like the way the human psyche works is that you almost want to make an excuse for it so you don't feel bad about your own skill set. But if you're just really honest with yourself and you go, you know, I snapped that that twig. I got I got in a hurry there in the end of that stock for some reason and I pushed it and I made too much noise or, you know, I crossed the edge of that meadow. I thought I could get away with it, but they picked me out. And you really look at it and you really look where you made your mistake and and you're right, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, you're going to mess up and you're going to look back and go, what if I would have done this or what if I would have done that? But I, I think it's that what if that you're learning from. Like, okay, well, next time I get the chance, I'm going to play it this way. And you just try to store that information and then call upon it the next time you get an opportunity.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like like I mentioned, as long as you're learning from those what ifs, and, and just a good tip, I keep a journal with you and, and write all that stuff down so that way if you're you encounter a a similar situation you can always reflect back on that and then just writing it down is gonna make sure that you remember it too just kind of going over it more than once in your head and and just playing that stuff out before it happens again that's that's going to be a key to a lot of success I think
0: yeah, um, a journal. I need to get better at that. Like I've done it at times and I take notes on these big adventure hunts, but I just need to be taking one all the time. Do you I know you kept a journal for this elk season, I remember you telling me. Do you also keep it for fishing?
1: I I try to, but I'm not very good at it. Uh I, I should have hundreds of pages on notes on that stuff, but uh procrastination and all that gets the best of me sometimes and Put it off, I'll write write it down tomorrow a lot of times and I of course I forget. But uh try try to get better at it this next season, that's for sure.
0: But you you do have a really good log of last year's elk season and you had just um your finest elk season you've ever had last year. Um chased him around with a bow, a bunch. You had a you had a good spot you were you'd found, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Last year Last elk season, uh, I guess just ended here a little over a week ago or so, um, it, it was phenomenal. I I unfortunately didn't uh, feed one an arrow, but I did kill a pretty good bull there open the morning in a rifle season and found this little little sneaker spot just off this county road thanks to, to Onyx Maps. I was able to find this place, and and it has kind of just a little little access, and, and the reasoning behind uh, going to this spot is is the rut was really goofy around this part of Montana it seemed like um, the the highways almost seemed to divide the rut activity whereas where I was hunting the the bulls were bachelored up all archery season you could be within 40 yards of of a bachelor herd of bulls rip a bugle uh, use some cow calls they wouldn't even pick their heads up and then you'd go across the highway and. You just barely get a bugle out and five bulls would scream at you. And so I, I gave up on that spot where then bulls were bachelored up because it was almost like chasing rifle season elk with a bow and they were, they were kicking my butt up there. So I just got on the maps and was cruising roads and doing a lot of glass and found this little, little sneaker spot and, uh, proved to be pretty successful. Um, archery season unfortunately like i said i i couldn't uh couldn't seal the deal on the one i want and i got pretty picky and and i i kept pretty close logs on a lot of the bulls i got in on and i i passed on 17 what i found to be or thought to be ethical opportunities at harvesting a bull and and i kind of regret just about every one of those but it uh none of none of the situations lined up to harvest the one i wanted and but it it was a phenomenal season i learned so much this year about this area and just hunting elk and learned a lot about myself uh pushed myself a lot harder than than i probably should have but i wouldn't take it back for anything
0: man how cool um good for you when you you know those are special moments too when you when you find a spot like that and you you've been hunting so hard and it's like um all these years come together and you get in just this this epic hunting where bulls are bugling they're going crazy there's a bull over the ridge make a play for him and and all of a sudden he's gone but there's another one and and those those days of field when you really get into them you know are are special and i i had some of those experiences i mean i had a good elk season got into some good elk but uh, the one that really stands out is this last mule deer rut, and uh, I just I just got into such good rutting action, and there was, you know, four different bucks I would have shot in there, maybe five, and then a bunch of other ones ripping around, and they were rutting does and posturing, and I was making moves, and then finally able to arrow one that day. But it those those moments are those places when you when you are able to earn that that just awesome rut and action or that awesome hunting that's what makes it all worthwhile
1: yeah definitely it that's why we're out there doing it it's it's about the experience for for me personally i know over that the harvest there and this this season just pushing myself i i had to sit down a few times and remind myself that it it's, it's about the miles you put in and the work and and all that not about the trophy you get to hang on your wall um it's, it's just about being out there and especially where we live. There's there's so much more than just that trophy. It's Montana, the the outdoors here is phenomenal and the opportunities we have to, to chase these animals in this area is we're we're pretty lucky, that's for sure.
0: Oh yeah, we so are. Um you're you're right. It is just all about the experience. It's all about being out there in the chase and um you know after after you, you harvest something then it's all over with but um yeah you you got to embrace the challenge too you can't get frustrated or if you're not seeing anything you know you're you're outside and you're not working and and you just got to enjoy it and so uh, I, I too just try to enjoy every moment I have a field and whether I'm finding them or whether I'm not, it's an opportunity to, to travel miles or learn new country or, you know, an opportunity to get a stock or to, to earn a stock and, and an opportunity to, opportunity to get better. Um, but yeah, we are fortunate here in Montana. We, we've, we've got a lot of good hunting and we get an elk tag every year and a, a, a mule deer or a deer tag every year. You harvested a really nice whitetail this year.
1: Yeah, uh, right there around the last week of the rifle season, I I punched my tag on a pretty good heavy five point. Uh, Very fortunate for that. I put in not as much time as I I did during archery, but um, put in a lot of time to find a good one. And uh, the last week, uh, November there, or last week of the rifle season, work got really busy and I'm trying to leave early every chance I can get and still could not find a a deer that I wanted to harvest, and and finally I I uh, ended up finding a pretty good one and and stalking in pretty close and and putting the hammer down and um, yeah he's a like I said a, a heavy five point he's kind of a high country whitetail he wasn't hanging down on someone's alfalfa field or anything so it was, it was pretty cool those those mountain whitetails they drive me crazy but I love hunting them.
0: Yeah, um, so so you have mountain whitetails around you, and so this is kind of different. Uh, Montana and Idaho have them, and they're about the only states I know of that have a, a mountain whitetail. You, not that, you know, I, I guess Midwest has white, you know, they all have different whitetails, but these ones are different. Like you say, they don't go to a food source. They kind of wander around the mountains everywhere throughout there, and you kind of find them like a, you kind of focus on river bottoms and drainages and such, but they could really be anywhere in the mountains up there is that right drew
1: yeah i i found this guy just up on a a ridge top um a few miles from uh, probably two miles from this little river drainage and yeah he's just pushing does all over this this ridge and thankfully i glassed him up and was able to the wind the wind was perfect and was able to sneak in there and put a good stock on him and and uh get him so Uh, Yeah, these these mountain whitetails, of course, I'm only 26, so I haven't haven't been hunting them for 30 or 40 years like a a lot of knowledgeable guys, but they're just so much different than, say, a river bottom buck um, or a a buck you'd find on an alfalfa field. It, It seems like there's less numbers up in these higher altitudes, and so these uh, deer don't get as fired up about rattling, in my experiences. Maybe that's just where I'm hunting them, but they don't seem to respond like a lower elevation buck with with the uh, lack of numbers up there. They don't want to come in and, and check out a fight or anything like that, in my experiences, of course. But it, it just makes them that much funner to hunt because you kind of lose some of your tools that you can use to chase them elsewhere
0: yes well they've got such vast tracts of land that they can wander where their numbers aren't condensed in you know one alfalfa field or one river bottom and so it seems like their numbers are real spread out um so huh that's wild that yeah you don't get any um rut or you get rutting action but you they don't respond to to calls or to rattle um you know they just they just go off and look for another doe somewhere
1: yeah, that that's how it seemed to be. Is there's just not much competition for them, and glass and deer around here. I I very rarely saw more than one buck with with a group of does. It, the numbers just aren't great around here. Um, so I I think that plays into a lot of their lack of interest in my calling. <laughs> Either that, or I just really don't know what I'm doing up there. But <laughs> I try not to to pull that excuse. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, and and even in the 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 Midwest and places where they tree stand, you know, Clint. I was just out in the in Ohio hunting for whitetails out there, and so you know, I had a buck come by, and so I'm trying to ask Clint, who's the expert, he's been hunting whitetails his whole life, and killed some really good ones. And I said, you know, do I grunt at him? Do I do this? Do I do that? And and he just doesn't call too much. He he says he calls as like a last-ditch effort if he can see the buck. He'll call to it, get it to attention, and then see if he can bring it in. But he says he doesn't have much luck calling those things either. And I don't know if it's more high pressure around where he's at. It's private land, but there's – a bunch of private land tracks, and so these deer get hunted, and definitely know the pressures on them but um yeah, in my experience too, I finally got on the the shooter buck the last day that we were hunting for just this really heavy giant one and. He walked like 130 yards from the stand right there. And I thought about getting down and making a stock, but it, they're so switched on. It's so tough to climb down that tree and then make a play. And, and plus I don't, you know, it's Clint's farm and, and, uh, you know, I don't want to step on his feet and he's told me, you know, just be patient, you know? And so I thought, well, maybe this buck will come back out through. And I got his attention with a grunt call. He looked over at me, but he, he sure didn't come over to check me out.
1: Yeah. Um, back back to that saying they don't get big being stupid it they they're switched on i mean those those whitetails they're they're some savvy critters and they know how to how to get away from us and yeah they're that's what makes them fun to hunt though is just they're they're gonna beat you nine out of ten times in a lot of seasons those big whitetails will beat you 10 out of 10 times and you have some tag soup to to bring home but i i love chasing them whitetails it's a lot of
0: fun, huh? And so we have them in um, Western Washington. Washington, we have white tails all throughout our state. But I would say that the the mountain white tails that we're talking about are on that western side. And then I've heard of a lot of guys hunting them in the panhandle of Idaho, right through there, and, and even um, Northwest Montana. I've ran into mountain white tails up in there, or what I would call a mountain white tail. And then that panhandle at Idaho I know has a, a late bow season, and a lot of those guys go up and, and do that hunt up there. And that looks like fun. I know when I'm down there fishing like um, Clearwater or somewhere on the salmon, you know, it looks like pretty cool country to hunt whitetails.
1: Yeah, I I haven't spent a whole lot of time over there, especially not hunting. Usually I'm over there on the, the Clearwater chasing steelhead or something. <clears throat> but, yeah, that, that'd that be a lot of fun to get in on some late-season whitetail
0: hunting. That stuff around the Clearwater, and that's where um, Lewis and Clark came through down the uh, Locksaw, and the Locksaw and the Selway meet. They formed the, the main fork of the Clearwater down there, but that's some really look, cool-looking country, and I know – some of that is um, Indian-owned in and through there uh, that you can't hunt. But a lot of that stuff, like going up the South Fork or farther down that middle fork, that's cool-looking country to hunt.
1: Yeah, yeah, it sure is. And I'm just over there fishing, I, I feel like you see, see a lot of deer. So the numbers are there, and, and it always seems to be a little warmer than it is this time of year at home. So it would be ni- a nice break from the, the frigid Montana winter that we suffer from.
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, they're so low in elevation there. They're only at about, I think it's like a thousand feet in elevation. And, uh, so yeah, it definitely keeps a lot cooler there. Like, they get an earlier spring than we do. That, that green grass just starts up there so much earlier. And like you say, it's, it's just warmer than Montana. And it's just right over the hill for us. I mean, I don't know about you, but Missoula is like three hours away and then three hours down there to, to go fish for some steelhead or hunt for some whitetails. But yeah, that'd be fun to take on one of these time, one of these years. I'd like to do that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'll have to, to get on the maps and kind of plot out some, some areas to check out when I'm over there chasing steelhead. And maybe make a play on them in the next fall or whenever the season is. That sounds like a good time.
0: Yeah, I think they hunt them in the late season. They might even be hunting them now. Or maybe it's late November. But it's right around um it's it's right around now i know that
1: yeah yeah i'll have to do some research i i uh definitely would like to make it over there and it kind of hit the hit the montana rut and then that and then go chase chase deer in arizona you could have an extra few months of hunting yeah Sounds like a good deal.
0: yeah and you're gonna make the trip down to arizona this year right yeah i'm
1: planning on heading there right around the the first week of january go to go chase some deer around with a, a bow for a few weeks and again just get away from from the January weather we have up here and see if I can't make a play on a, a big muley or coos down there but a lot of research left to go um just kind of shooting in the dark down there I've, I've never even driven through Arizona so I'm excited to, to go down there and see what I can make happen
0: Oh, that is so cool. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it as well. I'm going to head down that, that first week of January. So I'll be down there, um, touch bases with me. And I, I've got a lot of research to do myself, but I do know that country really well and have hunted it for enough years that I, I pretty much know the spots. I, I just need to do a refresher on it and kind of look for a couple new spots to go. But man, that is so much fun down there. It's, uh, the Sonoran Desert is just, um, it's like this different habitat than we're used to. Uh, different climate for sure. It's warmer, 50 to 70 degrees, but you're, you're still up in these desert mountains. It, and, and it's all different. You can hunt anywhere from, um, you know, the flat, snoring desert all the way up into, to the mountains where you get snow on the tops of them at times, you know, down there in January. But it's, it's usually fairly warm and, um, it, it's just like this different habitat than we're used to. Just these, um, cholo cactuses and, uh, mesquite trees and, and uh glass in it you know you almost sit down on a vantage point and you can almost see too much like it's almost overwhelming <laughs> you just don't even know where to start or what to look at but then you just start picking that place apart with your binos and we usually tripod them up and then you're just scanning that land that landscape up and down and trying to pick those things out and they're really tough to see they're they're small and they're this gray color and, and when they freeze you just can't see them i mean they're they're the gray ghost for a reason they are so tough to glass and and you'll see one pull your eyes away and then try to find that thing again it'd take you 10 minutes to find it sometimes you never find it again you know so. Uh, that-
1: Sounds like quite the challenge, but it sounds like a lot of fun though. I, I feel like around here, I, I haven't really pursued mule deer quite a quite a bit, so I've, I'm not used to getting up on those high peaks and glassing all day. So it, it'll be a new style of hunting for me. So I'm I'm pretty pumped to go give it a whirl. Oh,
0: it's so fun, and they're beautiful deer down there too. And they're um, it's right in the heart of their rut, and. Uh, you know, they're whitetails, but they just, they don't even, rem- I mean, they remind me of a whitetail when they run around when they run away, their whitetail bobs back and forth, but they're just smaller and they're a subspecies that's that's evolved over thousands of years to live in that desert. And so I don't even think of them as a whitetail. Um, they're switched on as a whitetail for sure, and they have some of the same tendencies, but they're just like this different little desert deer that is just so fun to hunt. And then you you know you you get down there and you get into it and and you start to appreciate them and you know you know they're a smaller deer, and a hundred incher is a really good one. But a hundred incher all of a sudden starts to look pretty big to you because proportionally it's got this big body and wide chest, and you know it's it's a size and a half bigger than the does. And and you're watching them rut and posture towards other bucks, and they're aggressive and living down in that desert landscape. And you really start to get into it and appreciate them. And you just like I always like the experience when you when you when you get to hunt a new animal and a new species and, and test your skills so man you're gonna have a blast down there i'm i'm really excited to go down and hunt them again this year
1: yeah yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun so uh quick question when you're hunting them are you do you choose to hunt like water sources down there or do you try to catch them in between feeding and bedding areas or stock them in their beds what's your approach there
0: yeah so i haven't done real well off water holes i know guys do um, well off water, and they they really do well off water in that early season. Um, the late season in the spots that I'm hunting, you know, there's actually drainages that that go off the mountain that hold water where those, you know, you can't just find one spot where those coos are drinking, and they're traveling so much that time of year that even if you had a water hole or you know, and you look on your map and they've got all the drinking tanks marked on your map, and they're called drinkers or, um. Something like that, but but all of them are marked on your map, so you know where all the water is, but I just haven't had too good a luck uh, focusing on water. Um, it seems like these things are moving so much country that time of year, so I hunt them um, uh, spot and stock. I get on vantage points where I can pick apart tons of country and you'll find them all the way from the valley floor to the to the top of the mountain but there's like a sweet spot to hunt them you go too high on the mountain and there's just way too much timber up there and you end up still hunting and those things are so switched on that you just end up jumping them so you got to kind of find that that medium ground um seems to be the the hot spot for me. I don't really find the numbers on the valley floor, although that's a really good spot to hunt them because the more open it is, the better chance you have because you can actually watch those things bed down, keep better track of them. And so I'm always looking for more open terrain, but they seem to like like a mix of cover and, and open terrain. But it, it'll, it'll seem really open to you from what we're used to here in Montana because you can see a lot of it and not a – Not a ton of thick cover, but it's almost like this mid-breast of that hill. And then I jump on those vantage points and then just uh, look to glass those things up. I see probably 10 to 20 a day in the spots that I have and and usually a few different bucks. And hopefully you see a a shooter buck a day is kind of what we average. Um, But, yeah, I sit up there and I just – I watch and I wait. And sometimes you're trying to cut them off. It's always a matter you see them and you go, can I get there? Can I make it there before he disappears? And in the rut is the blessing and the curse of these things, because it's the blessing because you get to see them because they're out looking for does and chasing does and rutting does, you know, the curses is they're always moving, you know, sometimes you'll watch them go just mountains away from you, and you just never get a chance at them. But I try to, you know, I can't say that there's a hard rule like the the best opportunity you can get is to watch them bed because you know they're not going to move. You know where they're at. Try to sneak into that spot, but it, it just doesn't always happen. You know, you'll be watching, waiting for one to bed, and he'll go over a ridge you can't see or he'll dive into a thicker cover that you can't glass him where he beds and get his exact location, and they just disappear from you, so it's almost like this – game of just can i get to him can i make a play on him do you think i can get someplace where i can see him or get closer to him um or you know if you get lucky and see him bed you know that's an all-in but for for me it's all spot and stock on those things
1: okay now is that how you pursue meal deer rutting meal deer up here with your bow as well so the tactics if i choose to chase mealies down in arizona would they kind of be the same as the coos deer just best bet as if they're betting and and just get up and glass them is that how you'd approach that?
0: Yes, um I would I'd find those vantage points and try to glass up those bucks and glass up those deer and, and mule deer you know, I think where you're going to be finding mule deer, you'll have a better chance of watching those things bed down, you know, unless you start finding them in, in heavy timbered country. But if you see them, they're just darker and bigger and stand out more. And so you'll have a better chance of cutting those off, better chance at watching them bed and almost a higher percentage play. I would say, you know, those, those coups, they are really switched on, but you know, if you get in a good spot and you're able to find bucks and make plays on them, you know it's amazing how quick it can come together and, and send a good arrow. But yeah, I'd play those those uh, same tactics on mule deer for sure. Okay,
1: good good to know. And then we've talked before, and you've mentioned uh, uh, javelina tags. Um, can you tell me more about that?
0: Yeah, so they have javelina tags, and those things are meant for the bow and arrow. Those things are great, and they're, they're part, again, they're part of the experience and part of the landscape down there, but yeah, they look like a bowling ball in their, um, they're a peccary, uh, which I, they look like a pig, but I, I think they're, they're not related to a pig. They're a species of their own, but, um, yeah, they weigh about 50, 60 pounds. They're a black bowling ball out there, and they're made to stock. And, and so what they have, they're not an over the counter tag. They've got quotas on them, but the, the quotas, Every time I've been down there, or every time I've looked at it, there's always leftover tags you can pick up for the unit you're hunting. You know, the only bad thing is is your, your deer tag is good for multiple units, and so you can kind of jump around to different units and, and find spots that you want to hunt. With those javelina, you have to stay in the unit you buy the tag in. And so... You know, for you going down, not knowing where you're going to end up, if you know you're going to be hunting mostly in, in this unit or a couple different units, you know, then you could look for a tag in there. Or otherwise, you know, you might even just get into country and then, um God, it's so far back to Tucson to get a javelina tag. You'd, you'd be best just to have a javelina tag in your pocket. I think they run like 150 bucks or something like that, and you have to go into the – Arizona uh, Fish and Wildlife in there. I believe that's how you used to have to do it. But yeah, I'd definitely pick up a javelina tag and and try to get one of those. And it's just another bow hunting opportunity when you're out there. And and, uh, I've snuck up on them before, and they are just a cool species. I had one – I should bring my recurve down there to try to harvest one because they're – they don't have very good eyesight, and uh, maybe they're more keen than I think. But every one I've I've found, I've been able to get really close to. And so I saw this herd feeding this one night when I was walking back to the truck, and I thought, "Oh, I'm gonna sneak up on them." And so I kept getting closer and closer, and you know, pretty soon, you know, I'm. I'm inside 10 yards and pretty soon I'm five yards away from this feeding javelina. And then I'm thinking, gosh, I'm too close. Like what do I do if this thing comes at me? You know, and <laughs> it finally sees me and all it's hackles stand up on its back. And I think, Oh no, here we go. I'm going to have to throw my bow at it. And, uh, but then it, it took off and, and, uh, it took the whole, what is it, herd of them, I guess took the whole <laughs> herd of them, um, away, but, uh, yeah, they're a really cool animal. I really like seeing them down there. They are part of the experience.
1: Yeah, definitely. If if you're going down there, or I guess if I'm going down there, I might as well we we'll try to make the most out of it and put one of them on the list and see if I can't find a javelina.
0: Yeah, I think so. I I need to get one this year too. I wouldn't mind bringing my um, recurve down there. It'd be I don't have any kills with my recurve yet, and I've been practicing for a couple years, and and I've I've got pretty efficient. Um, you know I know if I can get inside 25 yards I can make that shot so yeah I wouldn't mind taking my recurve down there and uh, carrying it in my pack they're pretty light and uh, just a a couple three arrows or something and try to sneak up on one of those things I think that'd be fun
1: yeah definitely Um, with the javelinas do you eat them like a pig I guess that's kind of a a naive question. I have no idea.
0: <laughs> um, well, I have a naive answer for you. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I think I think you do eat them. Yeah, I think guys eat them. I, I've heard they can kind of smell a little funny or something. Um, I think when you skin them out, they've got some scent glands that go all the way up their back. Um, oh. They're a little funky, but yeah, I do think you – well, I know you eat them. Um, you know, I don't know how they taste. I've never tried them, but um, I I think they're pretty good. They give out tags for it, and guys are harvesting them. So, you know, like most things, it probably comes down to your butcher and your cook, you know, it's because I hear some people that don't like antelope and say they taste sagey, and I – man, every antelope I have killed, it's just my family's favorite meat. It's our It's our favorite animal of the year, but I know – you know we skin them out you know really quick after we kill them get them cooled down and then i butcher them within a couple days really i don't let them hang or anything but our antelope are great and i hear of people that don't like them
1: yeah every antelope i've ever eaten has has been awesome so i i don't know if maybe some people's taste buds are just a little goofier than ours but they're i think antelope are pretty great and i imagine it it's probably just a Kind of tomato, tomato with the javelina too. It's just however you cook them. It's it's all going to be a little different. But some people like it and some won't.
0: Yeah, well, and I I hear people talk about gamey taste. I think if your meat has gamey flavor, like it's um, something went wrong in there. Like it should. It, it I, our meat is so good. It's um such organic good protein to to put into your body and and maybe i'm just used to it and that's the deal i mean there definitely is a different flavor from like uh you know everything's corn fed nowadays whether it's your chicken or your beef and that definitely has a different flavor than a grass-fed animal and they are a lot leaner but gosh the mule deer i harvest are just excellent antelope i harvest elk um you know i've been happy with everything i mean i've I really haven't had too many bad experiences. I had one, um, super old bull that I shot that was like, um, he got aged over 15 years old. I've still got the skull from it. Really regressed. Wow. One of the oldest elk, my taxidermist had it aged because the teeth were so rotten in it. But, um, you know, that bowl was really tough. I, uh, uh, had to grind my steaks into, to burger or sausage or whatever I did that year. And it, you know, it was fine that way. It didn't have a bad, have a bad flavor, but it definitely was really tough where it, it uh, wasn't worth making a steak out of. But I've had really good luck with, with all my animals.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I I've shot a few older cows over the years that it's like chewing on a piece of leather, but as as far as the gamey taste, um, our deer and elk are they're pretty primo stuff. It, it's all good, and at the end of the day, I I still have a full freezer, so even if it isn't perfect, I'll still eat it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um... Well, I've got a family too, and and we just work really hard at our recipes and using up all our meat. But we really appreciate it. I mean, I I think it's so cool we can go out every year and harvest our hunt for and harvest our own meat, and then you know pack it out and then uh, butcher it ourselves. And so we work really hard. Not every recipe works out, but for the most part, uh, it is dang good. I'm gonna do a roast tonight for the family. Um, I'm on this roast kick lately like doing – I used to cut my back straps in steaks and tenderloins and even my rounds I'd cut into steaks. And I'd do a couple roasts and we'd throw them in the crock pot, and they're really good that way. I like doing it that way. But uh lately I've been doing these roasts or these whole back straps, and then I'll cook them in the oven and, and reverse pan sear them like after they've been in the oven and, and cooked and, and then slice them about uh, three-quarters of an inch thick, an inch thick, something like that that is so tender and so good. Um so so we've been digging on that lately so that's what I'm going to cook tonight.
1: Sounds awesome. I'm I'm having elk steak for dinner myself and yeah, uh with the tenderloins the last few bulls I've killed over the last handful of years, I just leave the whole tenderloin as a a roast, throw it in the smoker. That that's about as good as it gets. It's <laughs> That's why I do it.
0: <laughs> oh, I know it! Isn't that so good? So you put yours in the smoker? Um, do you have a controlled temperature gauge on there? Or do you just do it by feel, or how do you how do you do it?
1: Um, so this this is mostly my my old man's really good at this stuff. So he's he's all about the, the temperatures and the precision. I'm I'm mostly the the freezer stalker, but it it's uh it's some good stuff.
0: Yeah, um I'm just all on feel. I don't I, I never have been good with being told what to do or directions <laughs> or I'm just uh I, I just like to kinda uh just free just go free and like uh, go off feel a lot and, and sometimes that's my curse and, and uh sometimes it turns out good. But uh um yeah, that's that's how I run. I don't uh a different temperature every time and a different time and then I'll I'll test it and um I I guess um and And I never write it down, so uh it's it's all upstairs, i guess for for better or for worse.
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe you
0: need a a cooking journal, <laughs> yeah, no doubt I do yeah a cooking journal for when I get it right, yeah, yeah, but no, it's pretty cool. those coos eat really good too. that is some really good meat. You don't get a ton of packages of it, but uh, the stuff I have got I really like
1: good deal i have to keep that in mind when I'm down there.
0: Yep. It's weird, too, even in that Sonoran Desert down there. I'm trying to remember if I've seen a bear. I don't think I've seen a bear down there, but I've definitely ran into bear tracks. And then it's, you know, you got to be safe down there, too. I've hunted right on that border, and right on that border has got really good coos populations. Um, but it, it's it's also got a, a migration of, of Mexicans that come across, too. So you got to be careful down there. I've heard, like, um, you don't want to park your rig overnight. And I've stayed down there overnight, but... Usually I opt to drive back and and uh, get back another fifty miles or so and stay up there. But yeah, I've I've been driving down the road on those border units, and uh, I saw father and son, and gave him some water. They were just dying on the side of the road, but they're pretty much waiting for border patrol to pick them up. And and while you're down there, you do see a good uh, border patrol. You know, they, there's a lot of border patrol down there driving around. They'll set up on high hills, and they'll set up like um. I don't know if it's night vision or they set up like some satellite thing where they're trying to pick up maybe body heat or something like that and trying to pick yeah. these guys up. And, uh, you know, it's not the guys that are that are just trying to come across that you worry about. It's the guys that are smuggling stuff that, you know, they don't abide by our rules. Um, you know, they're crossing from, from Mexico. And I remember one time I looked down and, I spotted three guys, and they were coming all the way up this drainage, and they were moving through country like they just – um, they knew you know, the route through country where they weren't going to get seen in the easiest way through. And so they, they came over the saddle, and then they got in this bottom, and they kind of rolled right by me, but they were three young kids like in their late teens or early 20s, and all three of them had backpacks, but they were carrying their water, and so – you know, you can guarantee it wasn't oranges they were smuggling in those backpacks. They were smuggling something, and who knows, you know, what kind of trouble you run into if you run into a couple of those guys. So you, you definitely got to be safe and and uh, keep that in the back of your mind as you're hunting down there. Yep. I lose you, Drew. Yeah. I'll, uh, no, can you hear me? Oh, I got you back there. Right. Yep. Uh,
1: yep. Can you hear me now?
0: Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I was breaking up. This this dang internet's gonna be the downfall of me sometimes.
1: Well, I just don't have good luck with these podcasts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it'll turn out fine. Um, yeah, I had the. The last one I did, I had it. Uh, I lost the call and had to call back and kind of edit in. Um, you know, they're really fun to do live, but when you live in in rural Montana, like it's tough to get everybody to travel where you're at or travel where they're at, especially when you're working a full time job. So it's just the the nature of the beast. But uh, yeah, no big deal at all. I got gotcha. you. But yeah, you really got to be careful. Um, you know, down there. Um, you know, making sure you don't put yourself in a bad position and, and, uh, maybe carrying a pistol and then also on that border is just really being careful around there and, and glassing around and, and, uh, not meeting those guys head on. Cause you never know what would happen.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you, you said something cause I'm just hauling my camper down and I'm probably going to just camp out wherever I, uh, wherever I end up. So, um, that's good to know. I'll, I'll throw an extra padlock on the camper door and, Definitely bring the pistol down with me.
0: <laughs> yep. For the most part, you know, I've had really good luck down there. I haven't ever had anything broken into and leaving my truck down there. I mean, I've probably hunted down there 30, 40 days and left my truck. I've never had any issues, but definitely on that border, I think you got to be careful down there. But, um, yeah, and, um, you know, that – also, like, I know – you know, I I realize that that a lot of them are just trying to make a better life for themselves and come across and and uh, you know they want to get a job. There isn't much opportunity to make money in Mexico, and they want to come across and have a better life for them or their family. But they sure don't respect where they're coming to. They they come onto this this Sonoran desert and this mountain landscape that's just absolutely beautiful, and they just leave trash everywhere. And and maybe it's not all of them, but it sure seems like all of them. I pick up more trash when I'm down there, and it's it's all got uh, Spanish labels, and you know you're just going, gosh, you know you just think this place that you want to come to and make this better life for yourself that you'd respect it a little bit more, but you know I I guess that's the way I think, not the way they think.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. It's, uh, it's uh, definitely a bummer. I'm sure I'll do my fair share of trash picking up too when I'm down there. Um, got to keep the the woods clean keep those animals safe.
0: Yeah, and we're lucky here in Montana. We've got a clean state and clean mountains and uh we're really fortunate. You get around some of these bigger cities and and it's almost depressing like you drive up a mountain road and people are dumping trash everywhere and and also I think state laws play a big factor into it as, as well. I know living in Washington, like, um, is where I grew up. I've been in Montana now about 20 years, but, um, growing up there, um, I know they charge you for your trash. And so a lot of people would just find a, an old road and just dump their trash down there. It's just a shame. I mean, that Washington in that coastal rainforest is so beautiful and you're just coming across trash and same thing down off that Mexican border down in Arizona. It's so beautiful and I love it so much, but it sucks to run into that trash down there.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely a big bummer, and you can bet that they're they're not outdoorsmen out here and enjoying it like we are. So, um, hopefully, uh, some more rules or something get put in place to to make it more affordable for those that are doing it, or to definitely fix that problem. Because I'm with you; that's a sad deal to see uh, ditches full of garbage and hillsides full of garbage. It it doesn't make look good when when we spend more time up in the hills than anybody and and then there's garbage up there so i'm sure a lot of fingers get pointed at guys like us which is uh it's not a good deal
0: no and and like you say most guys are cut from the same cloth as we are that respect the land and the experience and being up there and and take care of it and pick up trash that they find but I even find there's some hunters out there that that are ditching stuff in the in the wilderness, like in spots and in different places and um, down trails, and just don't pick up after themselves. Or um, so I think some people are. You know, I picked up a bunch of water bottles this year during elk season. But it's it's always my joke with uh, I, my hunting partner Dan, and now it's a joke you know spread between a couple other friends that uh, it's it's a good car, it's really good karma to pick up trash, and so. I picked up like a bag of trash and killed this big Wyoming buck. And my buddy Dan was just a believer after that, you know, so Dan will dang near race me to trash because it's such good karma to pick it up. And so I've kind of spread the word. And I know that Hawaii guy, we picked up a bunch of water bottles on our way out from this, you know, four day backpack trip, tired coming out and found a bunch of stocked water piles and, Water bottles and put them in the pack, and I said, "Oh, this is good, Carmen." Sure enough, he killed a giant six point not too many days later, like this perfect forty yard shot, <laughs> and uh, so the the legend continues. And actually, I've got some pictures of my Idaho buck. And uh, I hadn't picked up any trash in Idaho. And the day I killed up my bu- killed my buck, I found two or three Bud Light cans and stuck them in my pack. And then I ended up killing that Idaho buck. And that was on a hunt with Dan. So Dan is a major believer now. I think Dan's just out picking out garbage, picking up garbage <laughs> to get good karma.
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny how how being an outdoorsman turns us into, into very superstitious beings, just because luck plays such a crucial role in being successful and when you maybe you put your right boot on first that day and you you killed a a big bull or something you'll you'll be putting that right boot on every time you go out in the woods that's for sure um i'm the same way i'm very superstitious when it comes to hunting and fishing
0: oh um, it almost makes you that way right because you you, it's such a such a game of chance or you just need a little bit of luck to go your way and it's definitely evened out by by effort and you 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 make your own luck but there too like i don't know i'll put everything in my favor to get as much luck as i can because sometimes you just need a lucky break
1: yeah definitely luck luck goes a long way as in the woods
0: Oh, it sure does. Um, well, and then just you—you you just try to capitalize on it when you do get a lucky break. There's nothing worse than messing up a lucky break, like having that bull <laughs> or that buck just walking right at you, just almost gift wrapped or something, and and you make a mistake or you miss him or something. You know, I—I I hate messing up like that. But you know, that's that's part of the game we play, and part of the reason we like it is the challenge. And it, you know, hunting at times will take you to your lowest low. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Man. It'll also bring you up to the the highest of highs, but those lows they they hurt a little little bit more. It seems like um, I I suffered quite a few of those this year, but like we've mentioned earlier, just as long as you're learning from those lows, you can kind of flip them around. And I guess that day wasn't that bad, even though I screwed up on a 350 bull. But as long as you're learning from that. It'll definitely help you hit that high of highs next time you're in the same situation.
0: Yeah, you're you're right. You can't get too down or too frustrated, or you know they're just gonna win now and again. And yeah, you you get kind of upset when you mess up like a giant 350 bull, but there too you you gotta be you gotta be happy for the encounter. Like I I just saw this thing in the woods that that everybody's out here to see or that that not many people get to see or experience. And I had this giant bull and had him right in range and. Yeah, I messed it up, but man, what an encounter! That was so cool. That was worth the price of admission. So, I try to look at things that way. It's not always that easy when you do mess up on a big <laughs> bull or a big buck, but I try to look at it that way. And and for me, the quicker I can get back to hunting, the 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 quicker I get over things too. You know, I go, well, you know, messed up that stock, or man, that didn't come together. Or, God, I missed that. I'm gonna go grab my arrow, and then I just start thinking, well what's the next move? Like I could sit here and cry about me messing up or, you know, I can pick myself up and go for redemption.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. And really it's, it's about putting the odds in your favor when you, when you hit those lows and you don't want to go out the next day. Um, just tell yourself that, that, you know, eventually if you're out there, it, it'll come together, but you're not going to kill them by sleeping in or, or sitting on the couch so you you got to be out there the more you're out there the more close calls you'll have the more you'll learn and the the more success you'll inevitably have but it it's just all about stacking those odds to to win and and you only do that by getting getting over those lows and and like you said just grinding and and it'll come together
0: oh it's so true Drew like what you said about going that next morning like you do you kind of get beat up and you kind of feel like oh i spooked all the elk out of there it's not going to be that good tomorrow i'm going to i'm going to take tomorrow off even though you have the morning to hunt but um the, the persistence is deadly like the more you're out there the more things happen and that's exactly how i killed my bull this year i went on a trip and i missed the rut as the you know the rut just goes in 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 peaks and valleys, you know. Sometimes you hit it just right and they're rutting like crazy, and sometimes you hit a valley like like you did on that other side of the highway where you were talking where, you know, the the bulls just weren't talking and they were they were bachelor herded up and they're just not rutting. It's just peaks and valleys depending on when those cows come into Estrus. But yeah, I totally missed it. I was hunting bulls and bachelor herds, just like you stated. It was like hunting uh elk during rifle season with your bow, but kept at it. I didn't get one killed and I came home and I'm trying to get a couple more days so I can fill my elk tag. And I'm also trying to film this elk hunt and so I'm trying to get a couple more days that I can go hunt this elk hunt. And so I, I I finally got another cameraman. We're gonna meet and we're gonna go for three, four days, but I just couldn't help myself. I had to be out that night before and I passed up a five and that next morning we're leaving this day, but I can't help myself. I've gotta go out there and go see in the morning, you know. It was pretty good rut in action, and so I went out there. By myself and able to self film. I, it, I killed a six point that morning. It just came together. And then, you know, then I had to call the cameraman and he, it all worked out. He ended up coming down and going antelope hunting and he still had his antelope tag. So it all worked out. But that's exactly why I killed my bull this year. I just kept at it. I just, uh, I almost get obsessed with it. Like I just, I gotta be out there every day, just trying and make it happen. Cause it could be the day. Yeah,
1: ex- exactly. You, you never know when when the stars are gonna align for you and and you'll you're gonna seal the deal on a, a big bull or a big deer but you you'll never know if if you're not out there and that i'm i'm with you i had to there's a lot of mornings where i had to drag myself out of bed saying like you took today off from work like either call in until you're going to work or else go to the mountains and i'd rather go to the mountains than work i guess who wouldn't but i mean i it was tough after you've been hunting for the last six, seven days, stacking on miles every day and and a lot of close calls, a lot of those lows that we've talked about. It's it's tough to drag yourself out of bed and, and get out there again, but the more you're out there, like I said, the the better your odds are gonna be.
0: Yeah, it's um it almost just
1: out there which is
0: Yep, sorry, Drew I was kind of breaking up there, but yeah, no, um, you, you're so right. Like, uh, it, it is. It's it's just a uh, day in, day out making yourself get out there and and continually go for it, and and that's what creates luck. And I all, I'm always optimistic. I always think it's going to be the best day of hunting or the best day of fishing. Do you think that way?
1: You have to. I I always tell my clients when they, if you're having a kind of a bummer morning, really slow start, like don't get discouraged fish feed off of our positive vibes. And and I, a hundred percent believe that if, if you're positive, you're going to cast better. You're going to have better presentations. I think if you're positive in the woods, you're going to hike harder. You're going to take the long way around just because you, you stand a better chance at seeing, seeing more animals. Um, I, I think that that, that'll help you out a lot is, um, is just, uh, forgot where I was going with that one.
0: (laughs) Oh, Drew, no, you are spot on. You made one of the best points there (laughs) that they feed off positive vibes. Oh, that's so true. I, um, so you're right when you're, so it isn't that they're, you know, that they're reacting off your positive vibes. What your positive vibes do is you believe you're going to see an elk or you believe you're going to catch a trout. And so, Like, you're hunting or you're fishing with purpose. And so you're right. Even if the fishing is slow, like, if you continually believe that that big one's going to come up off this bank, like, you cast and you make every cast right on the bank and you hit every mend and you get that drift just perfect because you believe. You believe it's going to happen. The moment you stop believing, you just stop caring so much. You stop putting it in all the right spots. And so, yeah, I think that ties directly to hunting is that elk feed off positive vibes. I really like that because... If you go and think you're not going to see anything, you're not looking as hard. You're not hunting as hard. You're making mistakes walking through different timber in different places. Like, you have to believe in the spot you're hunting. And even if it's poor hunting in the morning, you keep believing that you're going to find an elk, and the elk feed off positive vibes. When you're hunting with intent like that, and with purpose, and you believe you're going to find an elk, and you believe you're going to locate one, and when you do find one, you're going to kill it, like hunting with those positive vibes, um, you know... It, it, it benefits you. That's a really good point, Drew.
1: Yeah, we just need to come up with a, a catchier slogan than elk feeding off positive vibes like the, the fish <laughs> one. It seems to work out a little better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we totally do. All right, well, I'll think on that. Well. Man, I've had a really good time talking to you, Drew. Thanks a bunch for for being on the podcast. Um, you'll have to come on again, like maybe after this Arizona hunt. Um, and and make sure you touch bases with me down there if you're having troubles finding them or uh, have any questions or anything. But uh, we should do this again after the Arizona hunt.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm definitely down. Thank thanks a bunch for having me on here. It's uh, definitely a cool opportunity to to get on here and talk to you and and swap hunting stories. So it, big
0: thanks yeah yeah thank you drew um and congratulations on your season a uh, biggest bowl today and a, a nice whitetail this season so you did good
1: yeah thank you very much i appreciate it
0: all right well we'll talk to you soon thanks again drew
1: yep thanks brian all
0: right that's a wrap a uh, really fun conversation with drew um just really intriguing this um new elk spot that he found and and such great hunting through the bow season and then through the rifle season where he eventually harvested his best bull but these these sleeper spots and these these new spots they exist out there on on public lands it's just about us guys doing the research and and uh, doing the glassing and the scouting and and finding these locations where we can get into this 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 really good hunting um so uh fun conversation with drew uh wish him all the best this this next season and and uh down in arizona i hope he had a good hunt down there so uh make sure to check him out um sponsor for today's show is savage rifles again guys just the best rifles made with out-of-the-box accuracy great components uh gonna last you the 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 test of time and and uh, uh gonna be a great shooting rifle for you so um make sure to check out savage arms um, over there at Eastman's, we're going to record those podcasts and um, just keep things rolling on. I got another article coming out in the next issue and and uh, one in this issue. Um, yeah, just writing all the time. The the they're so great to work with over there. That Todd Helms is the editor, and if you're thinking about writing a story for Eastman's, make sure to get a hold of him. Um, he's just a huge asset. Uh, I I always really enjoy our conversations, and he's always good to to bounce ideas off of. But uh, I really enjoy working with him on the articles and. And uh, working with Scott on this podcast and and planning for the future and it's just a really cool deal. It's this podcast is it's it's such a it's such a weird platform as you know you can you know I, I plot and plan beforehand and take a few notes but but really it's all once you hit the record button you know you you have to just get out of your own way and and let it come out and let the conversation flow and so it's it's being really good in the moment and so it's tough to work on that unless you're doing the podcast but um, I do feel like I'm improving and I just want to get better and better at delivering information and being able to articulate intelligent points to you guys and and be able to paint the picture and uh, you know I, I don't get it right every time but um you know, I think I I think I am getting better, and and uh, just want to continually improve and and make sure I'm getting the right guess on to get you guys the right information. So, you know, us as a as a hunting community can be successful together and and uh, draw from each other's success and build on it. And so, um, it's just a really cool deal that we're putting together here. I have guys reaching out to me and and uh, uh, invite me in places and helping me out. You know. I, talk about that Arizona hunt or I haven't released that one yet but um, that Miguel uh, Mogales looked me up he was just a Facebook friend and, and kind of helped us with a couple vantage points down there it's, it's just really neat the community that we're building and I just want to help you guys the same to to be successful so um, really cool deal keep working away my computer crashed yesterday so I'm a little late getting out this podcast but uh, I'll do it on my on my backup or on my laptop um, I, I just had to get all the, the software put on there And uh, be able to to edit everything And and get it out to you But um, I got it figured out So um, it's getting easier And I found out on my computer It's not the motherboard It's just the power source I swear they build these computers to break I mean I haven't even had this computer I, I couldn't have it two years I probably had it a year and, um, you know, it's in a clean space, it's cool in my basement. Um, and, and they, you know, I took it to the computer guy and he says, oh yeah, they went, they went ch- cheap on the, on the power source or whatever, you know, what, whatever it entails. I, you know, when I start getting into details about computer, I'm over my head right after I start. But, uh, anyway, it's going to have that fixed and get that back on Monday. So that'll be nice to have that back up online and, um, keep this thing rolling keep these computers running it's always tough when you can't fix it with an allen wrench you know it's uh uh like you say get down to the to the motherboard and um i'm pretty lost it, basically you open up the back to, of the computer and i'm lost i don't want to touch anything in there but uh we'll get this thing up and running again and uh, be good to go and it, it's just life um you know, you, you have things go wrong like a construction company. You know, we've had some problems we're working through and nothing major or anything. It's just um, it, it, it's basically just construction and, and issues that you have to work through and computers dying. And, you know, uh, it's on the fritz and I'm trying to get out podcasts and I had a bid I was working on trying to get out. But, you know, they're, they're just hurdles. It's uh life. And we're only here for a short time. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm just not going to let these little things bother me and, you know, whatever it takes, it takes, you know, a couple hundred bucks to fix a computer. No big deal. If it, um, I have to bend over backwards, uh, in the construction company to make a client happy. Of course, you know, I'm always going to do what I believe is right and, um, and then stand behind it. But if I feel like I, I, I need to make something right by the owners, well, I step up and do it, you know, just do the right thing. And then. Just trying to enjoy my life to the fullest. And, um, I- I'm so fortunate to go on all these hunting adventures and, um, gosh, fishing. I mean, I've got great fishing right in my back door. Now that we're kind of getting over this coups, uh, this Arizona Coos trip, you know, I've got a three, four month lull where I'll uh, focus on trail running and training and, uh, you know, get my bow, um, all set up and shooting right, which set up now, but, you know, just, just messing with it, shooting every night, uh, improving my skill set. Um, just just so many good things out there that uh can't let a couple things drag me down or uh negative comment or anything like that so um just got to keep rolling on it's just uh the way of the world so um all good here in Montana and enjoying life to the fullest and um check in with you guys next week thanks as always for all the support on the podcast you guys i i know i i mention it a lot but i i really do appreciate it it is so cool to to build this community that we're building and then to give the support to the guests that are on the podcast to you know it gives us weight here that uh you know that that people are listening and paying attention and and uh, support the guys that that you like to hear on here so anyways i've talked enough uh have a good week guys check in with you next week